probably worshiped you as the God of life. The God who saved us life. Our first breath of our final breath. For you are our God. I pray today that we would worship you. That we would know our value comes because you are an infinite God's worth and value. We love you. Now as we open up your word, which gives us spiritual life, speak deeply into our hearts the truth of that word and change our hearts and minds to conform it to the will of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I usually avoid trying to read to you, except for the Bible. I want to read to you a story of someone's life. University professor Dr. Chris Gabbard used to believe that some human beings should be allowed or even encouraged to die. In his own words, Gabbard grew up prizing intellectual ability and detesting poor mental functioning. This led Gabbard to adopt the ethics of the philosopher Peter Singer, who argues that society has a right to exclude people who are not quote-unquote persons. For instance, both Singer and Gabbard believe that severely disabled people should either be killed or a lot allowed to die. But the birth of Gabbard's son radically changed his viewpoint. During childbirth, his son experienced permanent brain damage, and today he is a blind quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. Gabbard writes movingly about the first time he saw his newborn son in the intensive care unit. After his birth, I was very uncertain. Having been convinced by Peter Singer's advocacy of infanticide. But there was my son, unconscious, on a ventilator, motionless under a heat lamp. Tubes and wires everywhere. Monitors alongside his steel and transparent plastic crib. What most stirred me was the way he resembled me. Nothing had prepared me for this shock of recognition. For he was the boy in my own baby pictures. The image of me when I was an infant. And today, Dr. Gabbard has gone on to be an advocate for the inherent dignity of severely disabled human beings. Now, I looked him up, and he's actually published a book around this story. As far as I can tell, he is not a Christian. What he learned, though, is very profoundly biblical. What changed his whole attitude toward human life 
toward disabled people as being worthy of life was seeing his own son, looking at his own son, and then seeing in his son a resemblance of himself. And something in that triggered humanity. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. We are made in God's resemblance. So when you look at a human life, you see God's kin. We're made to reflect something of who God is in this world in a way that no other creature that has been made does. Today, for the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we're going to be taking a break from our sermon series in Malachi, and we're going to speak about the value of human life. To do that, we're going to, to go to Psalm 8. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to Psalm 8, which is one of the greatest passages of Scripture about the value of human life and how every human being has been made and designed by God to bring him praise. As we read this chapter of Scripture, you're going to hear three value statements. You're going to first hear a value statement about the value of God's name. Then you'll hear a value statement about weak and small human beings. And then last, the value of all human beings. So Psalm chapter 8. Lord our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries. In order to silence the enemy and the avenger, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, which, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You may be a little less than God and crown him with glory and honor. You may be a ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals and the wild, the birds of the sky, and the flesh and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. This is God's holy word. So first in the psalm, we see the value of God's name. Like bookends at either end of a bookshelf, we hear about God's name, the beginning and end of this psalm, which was written by King David, who we're told that was a man after God's own heart. He had a desire to see God's name lifted up. 
Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. There is nothing more magnificent. There is nothing more praiseworthy than the name of God. We worship an infinite God. As David looked out at the sky, the stars in the night sky, he could not help but to worship God. He could not help but to lift up the name of God. Some people think that God created because he was somehow lonely or bored, but nothing could be further from the truth. From eternity past, God has been God. From eternity future, God will be God. In later revelation throughout the Bible, we develop the doctrine of the Trinity. We learn how God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. And we learn how God the Father and God the Son have always and will always love. And we learn how the Holy Spirit communicates the love that God the Father has for God the Son and God the Son has for God the Father. And this always has been and always will be. God is love. And in his divine love and infinite mercy, God created. He created us in his own image so that we can reflect his love. He created us in his own image so that we can enjoy his love. In the ancient world, the gods had statues that were graven images of whatever particular god. And these graven images represented whatever god that the people worshipped. It communicated something about this particular pagan god to the people as they were worshipping. There can't be any question that when God made us, man and woman, in his own image, what he was doing. He was creating his own image, and he was placing it in creation so that we can represent him, so that we can represent and reflect his character in the world. We represent a God of great value, of infinite value. So this lets us know that we who are made in his image have also been given priceless value. This psalm teaches us about the value of God's name, and then it moves quickly on to the value of human beings, even the weakest and smallest of human beings. Listen to verse 2 one more time. For the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. I don't know about you, but when I think about strength, attacking the enemy, a stronghold against the enemy, I think of Navy SEALs or Green Berets. I don't think about nursing babies and infants. Yet, that's what you have here. 
for the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold. God obviously must not think the way that we do. For one, this emphasizes the vulnerability of every single human being. What do we have that has not been given to us by God? From breath and life and everything. When you look at like look at it like that, we are much more dependent on God than even the nursing baby. We are weak and we are vulnerable. This also emphasizes where God's people go to find strength. When David wrote this psalm, God's people, Old Testament Israel, was being hounded by their enemies, the Philistines. The Philistines were a much stronger people, much richer people, much larger people than, than Israel. Whenever Israel went and tried to fight their own battles and their own strength, they would always lose. But when they turned to God in weakness and dependence, God would become their strength. And he would deliver them against their enemies. Speaking of the value of human life, the crying and the cooing of little babies, the, the needs of disabled people, the vulnerability of the elderly, teach us all something about how we ought to be before God. Weak, vulnerable, dependent. We should all be like this. We should all become like little children, as Jesus taught us. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold. It's true indeed for all of God's people. And last, Psalm 8 is about the value of all human life. We see this final value statement. After highlighting the special way that the weakest and smallest among us ought to be valued, the psalm expands to include all human beings. Every human being ought to be valued because they are created in the image of God. We are made as God's representatives. And to us, he has given dominion. Verses 6, 7, and 8. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. We are God's rulers of creation. And being a ruler of creation doesn't mean that we become independent of God. It actually means the opposite. We become more dependent on God. Rulership means stewardship. It's taking whatever creation, whatever calling that God has given you, and using that, stewarding that, 
for his glory, for his kingdom, using it for great good, what we have been entrusted with. There is no other creature, no other part of creation that God has made and entrusted with this type of responsibility, except for you and me. Just shows us how sacred human life is. That God would look at you and say, have dominion over my creation. And when David looks up at the night sky, he's simply blown away. He looks at the vastness of the night sky and he thinks of the infinite nature of God. But not only that, his mind is turned to man. But how much this infinite God loves man and woman. When I observed your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, but you set in place. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. David not only felt small at the vastness of creation, but also at the value that God has given us. And then when you come to the New Testament, and when we learn more of how God has revealed himself, when he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to become one of us, something David had not yet witnessed, then our soul began to find even more worth in God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. We've all gone astray. We've all each turned our own ways. We've all rebelled against God. We've refused to take up our God-given role of stewarding what God has given us for Him. Instead, we use it all for us and our own glory. We all deserve justice because of that. We deserve punishment. But it is infinite love for us. Jesus Christ became a man. He became even a little baby. Dependent. Just like we are. Everything that we experience, Jesus experienced. He did it without sin, and yet in our place he stood condemned. He died on the cross. And then he rose again to give us life eternal. If we will just believe in him, if we will just turn from our sin and trust in him. As David looked out at the night sky, he thought of the magnitude and the greatness of God. But he hadn't even seen half of it yet that we have seen. When you look at the magnitude and the depth of God's love for us and Jesus dying for the cross, it's there that we must include 
God loves us. It's there that we must conclude that he must value human life very much. That he sent his one and only son as our sacrifice to die for us in our place. To give us life if we will receive it. If we will trust him. I hope that you have received Christ. I hope that you are trusting in him as your Lord and your Savior. I'll leave you with this thought this morning about the importance of defending human life. Human life is, is beautiful. And it's valued, valuable to God. It's infinitely priceless because we have been made in God's image. We have been made to bring God praise because we represent Him. We have been made in His likeness in his image. So the way that we value human life should be the way that we, the reason why we value human life should be because we value him. Human life deserves to be regarded as sacred and treated with the utmost of care. There's such amazing beauty and self-giving love when you're talking about the birth of a baby, for instance, the mother has sacrificed for nine months in pregnancy to bring this amazing creature into the world. And then you have joy at the birth of this beautiful baby. But on the other hand, in our nation, in our world today, you also have the culture of death. And it is ugly, and it is brutal. It is built on self and selfishness, not self-giving love. It is the ripping apart. It is the stabbing. It is the poisoning of the weakest among us. In a mother's womb, through an abortion, it is the manipulation of the poor by the rich for convenience sake. It is the exploitation of women by men. It is the disdain of the of it is the disdain and casting off of those who are suffering through the act of euthanasia, so-called assisted suicide. It is the fear and hiding, the self-loathing, the suppression of the natural motherly and fatherly emotion and tenderness toward the child. It is the guilt and the shame and the regrets that is involved in all of this. You think about the culture of death that is like that, that is brutal and ugly. And you think about the truth of the Bible, that God makes every human life in his own image with value and worth to bring him praise and glory. 
then you tell me which one is good, which one is true, and which one is beautiful. Let's go to Christ in prayer.